as she comes forward. So, if you'd like to extend your hearts and extend your hands towards our speaker, we're going to pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. You're a good God, and you only have good things for us. So, Father, we thank you for our speaker. Thank you for your servant. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her, her ministry. We thank you that you have filled her with your word. So, as she proclaims your word, may we be ready to receive it, because it will do us good. It will change us. Thank you, Father, that we will be changed so that we may conform to the image of your Son, that we may walk in the destiny that you have prepared for us, that we will receive everything that you have for us today. Thank you, Father, for your honour and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Woo! I feel a bit more lively, this one. <laughs> it's quite different, isn't it? Do you know, I was... Um, just sitting there, those words came to me, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And I think there's been weapons formed against this church, you know. I think the devil's, well, the devil's not happy with the church of Jesus Christ and hasn't been for 2,000 years. But I think sometimes he just sends his fiery darts, his weapons upon a congregation of people, upon its leaders and to pull us down and to bring us down. But I just had a sense this morning, those weapons will not prosper. Amen. 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 Oh, I'm going to jump because the devil's under our feet. Yes. Amen. 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 Tries to rob us of joy all the time. You know, just send the little foxes into our midst to just pull us down and pull me and Phil down. Me especially sometimes to have a go at my husband, but it's, it will not prosper. Amen. Amen. Um, but not take, I mustn't look at the clock. Phil said I looked at the clock six times this morning, so <laughs> I'm trying not to look at the clock. Just, <laughs> just conscious of um, not going over time. But, um, but I just wanted to thank you, first of all, um, those especially who have been so generous with mission. And we've just had, I haven't spoken since Sri Lanka and Thailand. But just to thank everybody for their generous donations, for all the fundraising you know, that we do, and you're so generous with giving for that, and all the bits we put in the mission box that we take to the people wherever we go. Um, we took 60 foot creams this time, and you know, people were really blessed, the seniors were really blessed, things for the kids, you know, things for the schools there, we just pack our cases with as much as we can. So just wanted to extend our thanks for that because sometimes it's easy to take people for granted and to say even though you can't go, perhaps physically, you're going with us as we go to show God's kindness to a, a dying world. So thank you for that. And we have a team going to Kenya in a couple of weeks and, and again, I know they've already got loads of goodies to take. They're doing a a football um, mission as well, and an evangelistic mission, and I just pray that they will be blessed too. So it's a subject of um, hospitality I would like to speak on today for a short time. Hospitality is an amazing gift. It's a gift that binds the body of Christ together, and it's a gift that we can take out there into the community and into the larger world. 
It's a generous reception and entertainment of gifts or strangers in biblical terms. It's one who loves strangers, one who loves the disadvantaged, the immigrant, like you would your own brother. The Greek word for that is an affection towards strangers. It's not just about glamorous table settings and picture-perfect food. It's about practicing servanthood. It's about showing our love for people as we serve them so they can feel special, special and valued. I was thinking about our church here and we are hospitable. And so this isn't co- to condemn anyone, but it's to challenge you to perhaps to look upon it in a different way, in a more broader sense than perhaps you ever have done, to look outward rather than inward and to see how God can develop what you're already doing into something more. So we have home groups where there's hospitality going on, the soup kitchen that happened yesterday, Cafe Rendezvous is open here in the week to embrace the community, Sam and Nikki's ministry, who I know are very busy with hospitality, individuals welcoming people into their homes. There's missions, as I've just said, where we go out and we serve food to the the disadvantaged and the children from the slum communities. There's Taste of Heaven, another ministry that takes place with healing as well. Centrepoint, women's breakfast, men's breakfast. We've done Christmas cheer and Easter cheer over the years. All an extension of God's heart for people and to show them hospitality. John Piper, who's a Christian author, says in some of his books, especially one he wrote on hospitality. It's the path of least resistance to neglect hospitality. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of a self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of self, there is no room for hospitality. How easy it is, isn't it, to focus on ourselves, to shut our doors like the Englishman and his castle when we get in there at night to shut our door and to shut everybody else out. But that's not the Christian way. The Bible is very strong about this. He says, stop, build a launching pad, fill up your boosters and blast out of your self-centered routine. Stop neglecting hospitality, but practice it. That's why the Bible encourages us in Romans 12, 13, to practice hospitality. It doesn't come easy to us. It's not something that we just wake up one day and say, I want to do that. We have to start somewhere. We have to practice it. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 10, it says, above all, love each other deeply. What a challenge that is, just to love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So easy it is to grumble, isn't it, and complain. But let's offer that love to one another, first here in the household of faith, and then we can go into all the nations and our own community. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various form. Now, sometimes it's easy to say, this one has an evangelistic gift, this one is an intercessor, This one has a gift of hospitality. This one has a gift of leadership. And that's often a way we opt out of perhaps 
witnessing to our friends. We're not all evangelists, but we're all called to witness. We're not all intercessors, but we're called to pray. We all haven't got a spiritual gift of hospitality, but we can all be hospitable. <coughs> so don't put yourself out of the arena because you feel it's not your spiritual gift. Everyone can operate in the gifts because as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we can do these things. We heard last week Dave said that we, perhaps as an apostolic house, would be a landing base. We'll be a base where people go and come back. They can come and feel refreshed. They can, like, just restore themselves. And I believe hospitality has to be key to this because it's in that environment that we can love people, that environment that we can pray for people, that they can be restored and loved, back to a place where they then can go again. I think we're a bit weak on that, really, because people go on missions, and when, you know, if they're away for a year, they come back, and they perhaps lose wherever they're meant to be. But we must get those things in place so we don't lose these people, but they will go on to the next stage. It's in the context of hospitality that I believe discipleship happens best. How best on a one-to-one in your home, when you invite someone round, you can have that one-to-one. I had a home group of 12 girls for a couple of years and it was so amazing how we could just talk about stuff and disciple each other and see people discipled and growing God over those couple of years and some of them went on to the mission field and others went on to different churches but there was a sense of discipleship that had been going on what an amazing tool the alpha course is isn't it that's why it's gone all over the world into many nations of the world that's why it's gone on for years because it's opening your door it's welcoming people even strangers people that perhaps we've never seen before it's cooking a meal for them over 12 weeks is preaching and preaching the word, showing what the Bible is all about, letting people realise the kindness and love of God. And hopefully over that 12 weeks, they will come to see God and the kindness of God. What an amazing tool the Alpha Course has been. And so as I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's a whole thread of God's hospitality to his people. His amazing love for us so hospitable in sending Jesus Christ to die for us. What a gift of hospitality that was. Genesis 18 is an early account of hospitality. It's a story of Abraham. Um, If you want to turn to that, I'll just read a couple of verses from the beginning of chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So these three people, it seems to indicate to me he didn't know who they were. They were strangers. Because often people would wander in the desert through the heat of the day and they would just stop perhaps at the first tent that they could find. And these guys came along and and he's obviously sitting outside his tent, Abraham, enjoying the midday sun. And then as he looks up, he sees these three guys standing there. It's believed that one of them was the Lord and the other two were angels. And they had come to meet Abraham, perhaps to give him a prophetic word. 
His first reaction wasn't just to sit there and do nothing, but he ran to get a bowl of water to wash their feet. They'd been travelling, their feet were dirty. And in an act of hospitality and humbleness, he bowed down to minister to his guests. He washed their feet. And then he didn't just sit there and think, well, I'm not going to bother giving these people to eat. They're not giving these people something to eat. They're probably not very hungry. No, he rushes into the tent and says to Sarah, Sarah, I think these guys are hungry. You better get cooking some bread. And so she gets baking some bread and making some bread to give to the guests. And he rushes off to kill a calf and so he could give them some meat as well. He was going to look after his guests. He was going to offer them the best hospitality he could. And then the Lord, he said, your wife, she's in the tent, isn't she, cooking? She says, I have a word for her. Next year, this same time next year, she will have a son. And so Sarah could hear this outside and she starts to laugh. She says, a son at my age? Are me and Abraham going to have some fun again? My goodness me, that's just too much to believe. And then the Lord said, why is your wife laughing? Why is your wife doing this? Don't you believe that what I can do is amazing? And in verse 14 it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And did she have a son? Yes, yeah, she did. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Who's entertained an angel here? I would have loved, I would love to entertain a stranger, an angel and a stranger. Have we ever done that? Perhaps we don't always know. I remember praying to God, we would, we've done not to boast, but hospitality. We've had people over most of our lives. But my prayer one day was, Lord, I'd love to have an angel come so I could feed him. We don't always know, do we? There's so many examples in the Old Testament of hospitality offered. Moses was offered food in Midian. Rahab took the spies into her home. Manoah, the father of Samson, receives an angel of the Lord into his home, offers him food, but he requested an offering. David and his people are shown hospitality in Samuel. And the widow of Zarephath cares for Elijah despite her poverty. She had nothing, only a little oil and a little meal, and yet she offered that. Nothing she had much to give, but what she had she offered and God multiplied it in a miracle, so she had more than enough. A Shunammite provides a room and food for Elisha. Just put a room aside in her house for this man of God, so that when he passed that way, he would have somewhere to stay, somewhere to sleep. Amazing hospitality. And through it all, Elisha was able to heal her son. An amazing miracle. Isaiah 58 tells us about radical hospitality. It's easy to have your friends around, isn't it? It's easy to have the people that we like, but it's not so easy to extend our arm to the difficult people, the disadvantaged. 
And there was a time in my life where I had no idea that these people existed, would you believe it? How can you be so ignorant? And God took me around the streets of London one day, about 20 years ago now, and showed me a different world, showed me people who were, had nothing, showed me people who were just poor and needy. And from having people around our house, it was like a different hospitality. He showed me a different world. It tells us in Isaiah 58 and verse 6, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to close them? I believe that's true hospitality. It's God's kindness extended to those who society would reject, those who society think nothing of them but scum of the earth. Now I think of all those immigrants there in that camp in Calais. It's easy to be critical, isn't it, and to say what they're doing here, they're trying to get in our country, and I guess I'm guilty of that as well. But, you know, somehow the love of God has to fill our hearts to realise they just want a better life. They want a better world. And if the Church of Jesus Christ can't reach out to these people, what hope have we got? These things are always a challenge to us. If we move on into the New Testament, we, we see Jesus spending a lot of time with others. He often broke down the barriers between people associated with individuals who were excluded from other gatherings. He loved to go to the unwanted, the broken, the sick, the dying, not the religious leaders of the day. He loved to be with sinners, didn't he? The (laughs) Pharisees would often say, why is he sitting with the riffraff? In the message it says the riffraff. Why is he sitting with them? Why isn't he sitting with us? Because he had a heart for those people. It's not the healthy, he said, that need a doctor. It's the sick. I'm not called the righteous, but I've called sinners to repentance. That that is the heart of God, to reach out always to those who are broken. One of his greatest gifts to humanity. He spent many hours in Mary and Martha's home and Lazarus, didn't he? He loved to be with them. He liked to spend time with them. He liked to have conversations with them. They loved for him to be in his home. So in the New Testament, especially in Luke, it's so many times he eats with tax collectors at the home of Levi. Simon the Pharisee invites him for dinner and he is anointed by the lady who brings the perfume and pours it over him. People would say, what a waste of money is that, this lady to bring this perfume and break it all over him. But that was her love extended, all happened in the home. He feeds the 5,000, what an amazing miracle. With five loaves and two fishes, yet somehow that fed 5,000, and perhaps more, and 12 baskets left over. He was always conscious, not only of their spiritual need, but their physical need, the heart of God. He says, don't invite just nice people to your table, 
but go into the highways and byways and invite the poor and the lame and the blind to come to the banquet that was prepared. Because the regular people didn't want to be bothered to go to the banquet, so the governor of the feast said, go and get the others who will come in from the highways and byways. Did he not say to Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house for tea, it says. I remember the song as a child, I'm coming to your house for tea. I don't know what tea was in those days, but he was coming to his house. He was going to meet him on a one-to-one. The Last Supper, even before he was to go to the cross, he had a supper with his disciples where he was intimate with them, where he shared food with them, where he washed their feet. And then he has a a conversation on the road to Emmaus. They didn't realise who he was until he broke bread with them and then they realised that this was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then after the resurrection, he's still seen on the beach, isn't he? Cooking fish, cooking breakfast for them, for the disciples in Jerusalem. Sharing meals with people and extending hospitality was an important aspect to the Lord's mission. There's four things I thought that hospitality is. It requires kindness. We have to extend God's kindness. There's so much heartache in the world. There's so much difficulty in the church. If only we can extend kindness to one another. We can display God's goodness to one another and to this dying world. It's not a duty. It's something that we love to do. We need to show we care. It should be shown to everyone without discrimination because everybody is worth something, isn't it? We're all worth something here to God. So God wants to show you his hospitality from one another, to show you his love. Everybody is worth something. It goes further than you think. You don't know the repercussions of you having and extending that arm to somebody, what a knock-on effect that could be, how that person could end up going on the mission field, being a minister of the gospel. You've spoken into their life. You've saved a dying soul. How do you know what effect you will have on that person? I believe it's the Velcro that joins us together here. We have 20 new visitors in our midst. We need to show them hospitality. Phil and I can't do it all. We can't have everybody around our house. We'd love to, our flat, but you know, if it can all be done by some of us, then these people will feel welcome. It's exciting, isn't it, to know that God brings people to us to stretch us, to help us to accept people and to show this hospitality. I just want to read this little story that I found. and um, It's about a story of a rabbi who was so holy that it was rumoured that on Sabbath afternoons he ascended into heaven to personally commune with God. One day a couple of boys from the synagogue decided to follow the rabbi after Sabbath services to see whether he did indeed ascend to heaven. What they saw and said was that the rabbi spent the afternoon going to the homes of elderly and sick Gentile people. He cooked meals for old ladies 
and clean the houses of old men. On the next Sabbath, some of the elders jokingly asked the boys whether the rabbi had really ascended to heaven to commune with God. God. The boys answered, oh no, he did not ascend into heaven, but he went much higher. That's Jesus, isn't it? He took on the nature of a servant. That's why he wasn't accepted with the Jews. They thought he would come as a king, somebody on his big horse and carriage, but he came as a humble servant, not to be served, but to serve. That's true spirituality, isn't it? I believe it is. I've, I've been a Christian a long time and I've watched a lot of stuff. But God will just show me some things that, you know, you just learn stuff over the years really, don't you? What true Christianity is. What is it to you? It's perhaps different things to different people. But we must true to uh, the heart and the calling and what God has shown us in our own lives. I think the years that I spent in the soup kitchen was not just for their benefit, it was for mine. Because I think my life had become so self-centred and just selfish, really. You know, it's okay to have nice people round to the house, but God said, I want to show you my heart. And whatever part of the journey you're on, God will show you his heart as some part of your journey. He might do it in a different way, but he had to show me his heart of compassion for people, people that I once despised. And sometimes he has to break that hard wall down, that, that shell that we put round ourselves to show us his heart for other people. I remember crying for hours and hours one day, or one thing, I didn't know what was happening to me really, but just God was breaking me down to, to be able to see his heart for people that I had no knowledge of or understood anything about their lives. And as I've listened and sat and listened to some of the stories of their lives, I think, my God, my life has been easy compared to some of that stuff, you know. And if you just take the time to open your home, your home is your resource centre, your home is your ministry place, your home is your asset that God has given to you. Don't despise it as small as it is. It might only be one room, but it's a place where you can meet God and meet others. And, you know, if you can't cook, that's fine. Just go and get a takeaway and chuck it in the microwave. It's not about posh platters, is it? It's about you extending your arm to people. I'm excited by this last bit in Revelation 19. This is the highlight of hospitality, because one day... We will all meet in that city. I was saying earlier, logistically, sometimes I try and think with my natural mind how all this will work out. How will he gather from the ends of the earth all the people that have died and get us all up there and, you know, logistically, and then have a banquet with so many people and who's going to do the cooking and what's going to happen? Or is it just spiritual food? Oh, but you can't comprehend it with your mind, can you? All I know is he's done it all well so far and he'll finish it off completely. Amen? Amen. That's it. That's what gives us hope, isn't it? The hope of the resurrection. So in um, Revelation 19, verse 6 to 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like 
loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Are you invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb? Amen. Amen. You're going to be there. Are your wedding clothes ready? Amen. And what an exciting day that's going to be. Marriage feasts are always amazing, aren't they? But this one will be the grandest display of Christ's magnificent generosity in a banquet. It will be the biggest feast you've ever seen and you will be able to eat of it. And most of all, our lover will be there, the lover of our souls. I can't wait, really, can you? I mean, I'm getting to the end of my life now. (laughs) I didn't used to say that when I was like 20. I wanted to live my life, but now I'm getting to the end. I can't wait to get there and sit with Jesus. Hospitality is an action of love shown to those we love and those we do not love. That's the challenge today. It's not just to our friends, it's to the alien and the stranger, even our enemies. It's contagious and warms the heart of those it touches. I encourage you to be as hospitable as possible while you're still here on earth. God calls us to it and he deserves our all. God bless you today. Amen. Amen.